The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Steelers week is finally here. It's week one. The Bengals are taking on the Pittsburgh Steelers at, don't call it Paul Brown Stadium, call it Paycor Stadium, and it is a huge week. Huge week, and a huge week for us on the show. We've got some announcements in terms of uh, some prizes and stuff because we have a charity that we are still highlighting, ladies and gentlemen, and you got to get in on that. We'll show you some of that in just a little bit. We're going to talk all things Bengals-Steelers, John and myself, and we're going to have a little help tonight from one of our good friends from the Believe Podcast Network. Mark Bergen's going to join us in just a couple minutes here. Oh, I'm Anthony Cazenza, joined by John Sheeran. John, the man, the myth, the legend, Sheeran. What's going on, my friend? I'm doing well, man. I'm just I'm glad I'm glad this week is here, man. I've seen too much quarterback <laughs> rankings and lists and stuff and not enough football, so let's, let's, kick, let's kick this thing off. Arbitrary rankings list season is... Done. Power rankings, divisional rankings, PFF ratings. Well, PFF ratings still matter, but you know, you know what I mean. Well, hey, if you're if you're new around these parts, you can always join us via our YouTube channel. There is a live uh, an icon to subscribe to our YouTube channel. More on that in just a little bit because there's an announcement attached to that. But uh, you can subscribe there. Click that to be notified when we go live. Uh, click subscribe and then hit the bell to be notified when we go live when new content is available. Give a thumbs up on the Cincy Jungle Facebook page. We're at about 81,000 strong on that page. So uh, go give that a thumbs up. And then, of course, you can uh, get the audio version of this show if you can't join us live. iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. We're on all of them. So get it. How you can, no excuses, play like a champion and, and get the show. John, let's tee up as we bring in Mark in just a couple minutes here. Let's tee him up with uh, and get everybody up to speed on what's going on with the injury report. There's been some developments, some things we kind of knew, some things that have been lingering out there, um, and definitely want to get Mark's thoughts on a couple of the, the banged up Steelers here. But if you would, my friend, run us through some of the recent happenings and, of course, a little bit on the Bengals quarterback as well. 
we got some tight end issues, maybe, kind of. Just a couple. Of. Just a couple. Yeah. Not, nothing too serious, though. We knew that Drew Sample has been recovering from the knee injury that he suffered before the preseason, I want to say. So he's was a, he was a full participant in Wednesday's practice. His backup, Mitchell Wilcox, he also suffered an injury in training camp. He was limited. He was kind of a maybe candidate to go on injury reserve as as the season or offseason ended, but he's on the 53-man roster. The team expects him to play, you know, within the four-week window if he would have missed, if he was an IR. So he was limited to practice. We'll see how that develops. Devin Asiasi, who was just claimed uh, last week, the fourth tight end on the roster, he did not practice. He's dealing with a quad injury. And Anthony, honestly, you don't really need four tight ends to be dressed on game day. He was the last guy to kind of join the roster. And anyways, didn't really feel like he was going to play. And now he's going to get at least an extra week to kind of heal up. Yeah, boy, that OJ Howard contingency plan uh, might have been a little useful, at least for this week, it would seem, based on what the Bengals are dealing with at the tight end position. You had uh, Deontay Johnson go limited, as you mentioned, Marcus Allen, the defensive back. Um, Also, he is limited as well as of Wednesday. Um, TJ Watt, not on the injury report after spraining his knee, that that, uh, block that people, the block heard around the world, so to speak. Um, and so also notably, and one of the guys we want to ask Mark about in just a second is, uh, no, Najee Harris on this. He was on the injury report throughout training camp and preseason, kind of a little bit of a mystery of what was going on there. He divulged some details on that, that were not previously divulged, I guess. So I'm looking to get some more details from, from Mark here, but overall, both teams pretty healthy. Some of the guys that were kind of, uh, were a little worried about and missed some time in training camp particularly uh, as it goes with Joe Burrow on the Bengals side, uh, Drew Sample on the Bengals side. And then, you know, you're talking about Deontay Johnson, TJ Watt, Najee Harris, uh, all seeming to kind of be at least limited or full practice participants and ready to go. Yeah. And then you look at Joe Burrow, who it's been, I think, six weeks now since he had an emergency appendectomy for appendicitis. And throughout the times, at least that he spoke during the offseason training camp preseason, it was just, yeah, I'm not quite ready where I need to be, but, you know, it's not week one yet, and I'm just ramping things up. It kind of seemed like he was just saving uh, the the full official, like 100% ready to go up until this week. And I think he posted on Instagram, uh, time's up was the was the caption there. So he's been kind of counting down up to this point, just getting all the reps and all the time that he needed up until it, it was go time. And it does seem now that, he said in his press conference, he's hitting all his speed numbers that he wants in terms of velocity, throwing the football, getting the right torque on it. It's been a couple of weeks now in the process of getting to this point, and he's used all of that time wisely, getting his strength back. I guess he said he's been eating like a high school kid trying to gain weight. So hopefully that process <laughs> kind of it's kind of seen his course at this point. So it looks like we're at 100% health for Joe Burrow. Akila the Great with the super chat and thank you that will go to the Pollock Family Foundation as will any super chats that we get here until we say otherwise those super chats are going to the Pollock Family Foundation so we're going to round up those funds and send them over and more on that just a little bit but anytime that the T Higgins gets the ball the stadium needs to erupt in deafening T uh, much like Heath I know Mark Bergen is is familiar with Heath and of course now it's turning into Muth for Friar Muth but uh, yes that we, we should do that before we bring Mark in. What better way to tee him up than to bring up this, John? And that would be the week one odds. The Bengals enter week one as a touchdown favorite over the Steelers, depending on which 
avenue you look at here, I've seen 6.5 full touchdown, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, I think DraftKings right now has him at 6.5. It's, that's kind of the line here. Um, so six and a half favorites. I, I can't really remember a time that this uh, was really the case with the Bengals being such heavy favorites, even at home against the Pittsburgh Steelers, at least not in recent memory. Yeah, they definitely weren't this high of favorites or this much of a favorite last year, even when they were at home, like you mentioned, when they blew them out by like 30. But it feels like six and a half is pretty high for just a week one game. The lines aren't usually that big just because no one has played yet. We don't really know what these teams are. It does seem, though, that if the Steelers went into another direction at quarterback, maybe that would have increased the the, the line towards the Bengals' favor. But yeah, six and a half, even for a home team who, again, just went to the AFC Championship, it's, it's pretty high. A little surprising, and as we know, um, you know what? Expect the unexpected in Week One. Even certain heavy favorites sometimes, you know, uh, just don't show up. That sort of thing. And so, expect the unexpected sometimes in Week One. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called "The Future of Work," where I answer all your questions on surprise, the future of work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. That being said... Talking lines, talking injury report. We are going to bring in one of the great co-hosts of the Believe in Steelers podcast. He hosts it alongside Ike Taylor, former Steelers defensive back Mark Bergen, joining the program again. Mark, we love chopping it up with you, man. It's good to see you again, and we've got a big one on tap. How are you? Fellas, the wait is over. Football season (laughs) is here. Thank you so much for having me. I cannot wait for this weekend. Chopping it up live with your viewers too. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. I we, we've we've done this uh, recorded style, I think, before in the past. So it's yeah. good to have you on live. Hopefully, hopefully people are nice to you. Let's let's keep it civil if we can here. I know I know it's the Steelers Bengals thing, and uh, I think I think Ike didn't want to show up because of the wide receiver debate that he and John. He didn't want more smoke. <laughs> Hey, it exists on the internet for forever. And that tweet that you had with the side-by-side, the great stuff, in all honesty, anyone who wants to know how to use Twitter, go pull up that tweet that you had, Anthony, going through all the receivers between the Steelers and Bengals. It's going back, gosh, probably 30 years. It's cool. I mean, it's – Maybe 50 about years, I forget. Yeah, I mean, it's close though. There, there's a lot of lot of good players, but from from both teams there. So, yeah, historically speaking, those teams both know their wide receivers. Well, let's let's kind of jump into it. And I think we talked about this a little bit when we did our divisional previews earlier this summer, and we had you guys on. Now it's official. Mitchell Trubisky is the Steelers' starting quarterback. We kind of presumed that was going to be the case. 
despite Kenny Pickett being first round pick, all that kind of stuff. Um, what have you seen from him so far this preseason and through training camp and confidence level? How short is the leash? I mean, all the all things Trubisky fill us in here because this is really one of, if not the major talking point of this game and, and kind of storyline of this game. I look at the Steelers' first six games, and I think that they're underdogs going into the season in five of them, including <laughs> Sunday against the Bengals. So considering that Cincinnati's coming off a Super Bowl appearance, to me, that's no surprise that you're going to put Trubisky out onto the field because if Kenny Pickett struggles and struggles early, then you go to Trubisky, then you have to go back to Pickett. It doesn't make a lot of sense. So a lot of great quarterbacks in this league have sat. Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Ben Roethlisberger way back in the day. There have been a lot of great quarterbacks that have sat and learned from good quarterbacks, sometimes great quarterbacks that came before them. And to me, that's no different with Trubisky because especially with the struggles of the offensive line, early on in the season, you're going to need someone who can move around. I think both Trubisky and Pickett are capable of doing that, but at least have a veteran back there who's demonstrated the ability to do that before. And Trubisky is going to have some weapons on the Steelers offense if he can stay upright that he hasn't really had when he got to play in Chicago. Now, I know he had Allen Robinson, David Montgomery, but outside of those two guys, like from the Steelers standpoint, I'm really excited to see what he can do, what kind of rapport he has with Deontay Johnson, who's a pro bowler a year ago, what he can do with Najee Harris, who was a pro bowler. Thanks to your Bengals making the Super Bowl. Joe Mixon sits out. Najee Harris is the alternate Pat Fryermuth, a good young tight end entering his second season. And then Chase Claypool entering the third year. And he's got two years left to prove that he's indeed worth a big contract because Deontay just got paid this last year. And we got a rookie named George Pickens who has some swag, has some attitude on the outside. I like what I've seen from him. I'll say this. I think the Steelers quarterbacks played well, all three of them in the preseason, but it's the preseason for a reason, and it actually counts this Sunday. The preseason, it's almost like if you squint your eyes and you watch a war reenactment, it looks like the real thing, but it's not. And so that's kind of how I'm looking at it to where I like what I've seen from the Steelers quarterbacks in the preseason. But let Trubisky take his lumps early, see where you're at after the first four games and kind of evaluate from there. I wouldn't expect Pickett to start. I know he's listed as the backup, and that's a feat in its own right, considering he won that backup job over Mason Rudolph, who has starting experience. He's not a franchise quarterback, but he's capable of being a, a backup, a decent backup. Week 10 against the Saints, uh, I believe it's November the 13th, when the Steelers play the Saints, it's coming off their bye week. That's really the first date on my calendar where I look at say, hmm, Pickett could start here, so... I think I've answered that question, Anthony, and we can kind of go from there. I've rambled on long enough. Yeah, but just real quickly, touching on maybe a conspiracy or two, when Mike Tomlin says clerical error, what does it actually mean? <laughs> Listen, I'm just glad I'm not the only one who goofs up on copy-pasting. I, I talked about this on our recording tonight of the Believe It's Dealer show. I honestly do think it was an honest mistake. At the same time, I mean, people. there were some people, mostly fans, that were freaking out saying, you spent a first-round pick and he's the third stringer, and then they decided to switch it and make him the backup. The thing that I look at that's a lot more important is that Tomlin has said that he's only had two active quarterbacks for Sunday's game against the Bengals. That's traditionally how the Steelers do things, meaning Rudolph won't be in uniform Sunday 
if forbid you have an injury to Mitch Trubisky. So the fact that Pickett is the backup quarterback, I think, again, is a, a tremendous feat that he accomplished. And if you look at the actual play of all three quarterbacks, statistically and what your eyes t- what your eyes tell you, all three quarterbacks played extremely well. I'm heck of a lot more concerned about the offensive line and the offensive line with not just protecting the quarterback, but then the struggles of the running game. That's why you draft Najee Harris in the first round, but you go from dead last in the NFL and rushing the year before you get to Najee to, I believe 28th last season. And you want to see a bigger improvement in that area, but it's still a very, very young offensive line. Well, I guess that that's the next best place as good as any to go to. And that is the offensive line. Both of these teams did a lot of work to retool their offensive line. The Bengals themselves have four new starters on their offensive line. Steelers have traditionally had one of, if not always the best offensive line in football. And that changed quite drastically last year. They addressed some things on this year's line. Still some questions here. What's the confidence level in the, in the offensive line here? I know they brought in Daniels and others to kind of remedy some of the situation, but um, you know, I, I think there are still some questions, maybe concerns there, uh, albeit improvements from last year. You would hope, you would hope, because a year ago you're starting two rookies and a second-year player, Dan Moore Jr. and Kendrick Green getting the start. I thought it was very interesting. Kevin Dotson wins the starting left guard role. Kendrick Green's going to start this season on the bench. He was a third round pick out of Illinois uh, a year ago. And so you look at this and it's the result of losing Marquise Pouncey, potentially a hall of famer, at least multi-time all pro pro bowl player. And then David DeCastro, same thing at the guard position. And interestingly enough, DeCastro was the last player that the Steelers drafted on the offensive line in the first or second round. I believe that was back in the 2012 draft. So they haven't spent draft capital upgrading the offensive line, and it is a genuine concern of mine. Now, that's why you bring in Mitch Trubisky in the sense that if you have essentially the same line that you had a year ago with a new center and then with uh, Daniels at uh, the right guard position, you know at least you have a guy who can move around and make the first guy miss, which is what you didn't have really the last three seasons with Ben Roethlisberger. Roethlisberger could do it earlier in his career, He's a future Hall of Famer, no doubt. But the thing that really stuck out to me watching the preseason was was like, wow, it's nice to have a guy in his 20s who can move around a little bit, extend plays, keep his eyes downfield. That's something Trubisky has struggled with is going through his progressions. But that's the idea with the coaching he'll receive under uh, offensive coordinator Matt Canada is that you at least have a guy who's a little bit more nimble on his feet to make defenders miss if a play breaks down. Again, Roethlisberger could do it earlier in his career, but 18 seasons in the in the NFL, and I know that the league does its best protecting quarterbacks, but father time's undefeated, and that catches up with you after a certain point, and that's no knock on him or his career. It's just the reality of the situations, given that he played 18 years in the league. Steelers knock on would have that, and they have that whether it's Trubisky or, or Pickett. Now, Rudolph is a little bit more of a pocket passer, can't quite move around as much, but that's an element of this offense to where if you're drinking the Steelers Kool-Aid and you're selling, you're saying, Mark, what's the upside in retaining offensive coordinator Matt Canada? Because there are a lot of fans that wanted to see him go after a year, but it's like, wait a second. He took over for an offense led by Randy Feekner in 2020. Steelers decided not to renew his, his deal 
And then now you can see what Canada wants to do with more motions, jet sweeps, moving the quarterback around. And you can actually run more of his offense versus tailoring an offense to what Roethlisberger could do in the back nine of his career. I'm going to give you three statements about George Pickens, and you're going to tell me which one's the most accurate. Okay. George Pickens is scary good right now. His potential is scary good, or George Pickens is just scary. (laughs) I wish I could say all of the above. I'll go with scary right now because it's not just the highlight catch in, in one of the first preseason games. It's the toe tap in the corner of the end zone, and that's going to be on the highlight reels. But what I look at, the blocking ability and just being a downright bully and wanting to block and block for your teammates and open up things downfield. That's what it excites me. And if you go back to his Georgia footage uh, and when he's player in Georgia tech, and if you squint your eyes, it's almost as if huh, the Georgia tech yellow jackets kind of look like Baltimore Ravens jerseys. Now I don't want to see him get ejected from a football game. Like he was in that one, but that kind of attitude is contagious and that want to blocking. And I like to see that he can just physically dominate opposing cornerbacks. We've seen it in several preseason games now too. And I know he did that in one of the college football playoff games against Michigan as well. So the want to, to be able to block down the field, that attitude is infectious on this offense. And there's a reason He's like the odds-on favorite to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. I'm very excited to see what he can do. And if he can even do, I don't know, three-quarters to four-fifths of what Jamar Chase did for your Bengals a year ago, Steelers would be sitting pretty with a second-round draft pick. It looks like they've got a guy yet again. And this is kind of where I go to what my co-host, Ike Taylor, tells me because he was boots on the ground at Steelers training camp in Latrobe this year. And when he got back, one of the first things that he told me was like, yeah, George Pickens is the real deal. This guy, and and Ike's seen him all. He's played against Jerry Rice, Randy Moss, Calvin Johnson, Andre Johnson, Reggie Wayne, Marvin Harrison, Steve Smith, all the great receivers, Not let alone the great Steelers receivers he would play in practice uh, when he was a player. And when he tells me that George Pickens is the real deal, Uh, I tend to believe what Ike's telling me. So I'm very excited to see what he can do. Picked him up on one of my fantasy football teams too. So we'll see what happens with George Pickens. I'm very bullish on him this season. Did I, did I hear AJ Green or Chad Johnson in there? I I don't know if I heard them. Throw them in there too. Throw them in there too. I'm sorry. That's an oversight in honesty. (laughs) That's an oversight on my end. But I mean, the list goes on and on. The wide receiver debate continues. It just continues. Uh, Talking with Mark Bergen of the Believe in Steelers podcast, part of the Believe Podcast Network. Always good talking with him. Uh, You know, just quickly, uh, do you have an update on Najee Harris? Because that was kind of a weird deal that happened this summer between you know, it, it, I guess Tomlin had told everybody that, hey, he got his foot stepped on, so we're just resting his foot. And then later on, Harris said no is a Liz Frank injury. And when you hear Liz Frank injury and running back, that's always kind of a scary thing. It sounds like he's healthy now, so good good for him, good to go. But, um, I mean, just kind of an odd situation, and I assume he is all healed up and all systems go. That's what we've heard as well at Steelers camp. So I'd imagine that'd be the case. The bigger concern I have is can you really expect what you had a year ago when Najee leads the league in touches, doesn't get hurt at all, and the only fumble he had was in the playoff game that the Steelers had against the Chiefs? Can you expect that level of production 
yet again with such heavy usage in virtually zero fumbles for back-to-back seasons. And this is where undrafted rookie Jalen Warren comes into the picture. He's listed as the backup, undrafted out of Oklahoma State. He won the backup role over Benny Snell, Anthony McFarland, uh, a third or fourth round pick from a few years back out of Maryland. He's now on the practice squad. So Warren's going to get his shot to be the Robin Nanaji's Batman, give him a blow, but five, seven, uh, 200 and some change is short and stocky build low center of gravity. Again, I don't want Najee Harris leading the NFL in touches because if you want to have success, November, December, January, when you're playing a season, you got to keep your bell cow fresh. I have no problem with Najee taking most of the snaps, most of the carries, but to get the amount of touches that he had, not just for this season, but long-term his durability with the, with the Steelers, it, it is a concern of mine. So the foot injury with Najee, yeah, going into the year, you don't want that injury to get re-aggravated against, uh, with an offensive line that's still young and developing. And I think that's part of the reason why in the Steelers' final preseason game, Tomlin took some flack for playing his starters in the entire first half of the game, but this offensive unit and specifically the offensive line needs all the time that it can get to gel and to develop that continuity together. So Najee, you hear Liz Frank and it's like, Oh man, but by all accounts, he seems to be doing okay. And I do think it was telling that the Steelers named him a captain one of five ahead of this season. And again, he's only in his second season. So Optimistic about Najee, but really to me, I just wish I could see what he could do against an offensive line that I do expect it to be better, say, come week 18 compared to the first few weeks of the 2022 season. So we know about TJ Watt. We know about Cam Hayward. We know about Mika Fitzpatrick. On defense, what has been one player that you feel has made a jump from the start of camp up until now? I do like what I've seen from Miles Jack. I'm very excited about the free agent signing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wait a second, maybe the Steelers just acquired the wrong Jaguars linebacker a year ago and they got Joe Schobert now. So they bring in Jack and his pairing on the interior with Devin Bush is going to be absolutely critical because Bush entering the final year of his rookie deal, the Steelers did not pick up his fifth year option. So He's in a contract season, and is he actually legit coming off a knee injury a few seasons back to where the Steelers would want to keep him around long term? But with his market value, I wouldn't have picked up that fifth-year option either. So I do think the Steelers made the right decision. But he's going to have every opportunity to succeed because they bring in Jack and because you bring in Brian Flores, who flourishes his M.O. as a coach in his previous stops before coming to Pittsburgh is – defense and specifically solidifying a team's front seven Terrell Austin in his first year as the team's defensive coordinator. So I think Devin Bush is going to have every opportunity to succeed, especially considering Cam Hayward's healthy. Tyson Alua Lu is now healthy. Thank you for sending us Larry Ogunjobi. I'm very excited to see what he can do in his Steelers uniform. I say sending, but the Steelers picked him up in free agency So I would answer that question with the two linebackers on the interior because Steelers a year ago had this dichotomy where they lead the NFL in sacks, but they're dead last in the NFL in rushing yards allowed. I don't know if that's ever happened, not just in NFL history, but in the history of football. It's like usually if you stink up front, you stink both ways, but it's this dichotomy the Steelers have had that just really doesn't make a ton of sense. So the two inside linebackers are who I have my eye on. And then, One player we haven't seen a lot in the preseason due to injury 
Alex Highsmith, who plays that uh, uh, outside linebacker position opposite TJ Watt. So Highsmith lined over opposing teams left tackles. Watt's going to garner a lot of attention coming off a year where he tied Michael Strahan's single season sack record, led the NFL on tackles for a loss, and was the league's reigning NFL defensive player of the year. If he commands the attention that he will, someone else is going to be single team is going to have to win one-on-one matchups. Alex Highsmith's got to take advantage and this is where he's got to eat. So I want to see what he can do again. Didn't see a ton of him in preseason due to injury, but when he's out on the field week one and so forth, I'm excited to see what he can do because someone else is going to have to take advantage considering the time and attention that Watt will take uh, on lined up over opposing teams, right tackles. That's where you see Watt line up. Three players for you, John. Alex Highsmith oh, and the two inside linebackers, Devin Bush yeah. <laughs> and, and Miles Jack. Okay, perfect. Well, yes. talking with Mark Bergen of the Believe in Steelers podcast, enjoying talking with him and getting some good insight from him on the Pittsburgh Steelers as they get set to take on the Bengals at Paycor Stadium. I still have trouble saying saying that. By the way, soft spot yeah. for us with, with Alex Highsmith because – Going into the draft, we interviewed him on this show a long time ago when he was, you know, getting ready for the draft and all of that. And I, I left there going, great guy. I think he's going to be good in the NFL. And guess where he's going to go? He's either going to Baltimore or Pittsburgh. Uh, and I, I just knew it when we interviewed him. I just was like, scheme fit. That's where he's going to go. But anyway, um, so a little bit of soft spot for that guy. I uh, hope he continues to do well, but just maybe not so much against the Bengals. That being said, um, what is kind of – so, look, you've got Terrell Austin, the defensive coordinator of the Steelers. He was the defensive coordinator who was unceremoniously let go midseason by the Bengals in 2018. I, I actually think DeMonte, because he was a, a good player and maybe a bit of a loss from a, a package standpoint of what the Steelers wanted to do in the defensive backfield. You're talking about you know some of the things with Highsmith and whatnot. I mean, what is the plan of attack, I guess, from – a secondary perspective for the bank uh, for the Steelers as they go up against Burrow in this wide receiver core. I mean, I, is it just, you know, let's, let's hope that pass rush holds up and the Bengals offensive line isn't that far improved and maybe we can kind of feast. Is it, uh, you know, pre- I mean, what, what, what's kind of the mindset there going up against the Bengals wideouts this week? Anthony, you answered your own question. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I, in I all honesty, in all honesty, because when I was looking at the depth chart that the Steelers released, Earlier this week, Cam Sutton, Akella Witherspoon listed as the two starters. And it's just like, man, pretty much what the Ravens did all offseason was load up on defensive backs. Uh, Kyle Fuller, the former All-Pro for the Bears. Uh, Hamilton, the uh, the safety out of Notre Dame. I know they signed another safety and free agency. So it's like, no, they'll get Humphrey and Peters back healthy as well. So it's like... I always look at to see what the other teams are doing in the AFC North to kind of counteract what the best teams like, because you're going to play each team in the division twice a year. So that's pretty much what the Ravens did. And that's like, it is a question mark I have about the Steelers defense is like, how do the corners hold up? How do they hold up against one of the NFL's best passing offenses in the Bengals? And what you got to do is do what teams did last year with, with Burrow is get after the quarterback. Now, again, I know that, that's pretty much what the Bengals did this offseason was upgrade the offensive line. But let me flip this back on both of you. Like, are either of you just even just like a little bit concerned where traditionally analysts think that the team that loses the Super Bowl has a hangover and they're not nearly the team they were the year before? 
but everyone seems to be really high on this Bengals team. And I know a lot of it is because of Burrow. We all think he's going to be the next guy. We all think that he's great. Like, does that make either of you nervous? I've seen both uh, being a team, and I don't want to speak for John. I want to let him have his say too. But I, you know, I've seen both where there's some that are all on board with the Bengals, and a lot of people are talking regression, regression, regression. My thing is this: normally, I, I do worry about the hangover kind of situation from a team that loses the Super Bowl. But in a lot of cases, Mark, I've, I've that I can remember. There are a lot of teams that either win or lose the Super Bowl, and the next year they get fleeced in free agency, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you look at the Bengals' roster, who they have under contract, the young players they have under contract with manageable deals at this point in time, really, you mentioned Ogan Joby. That's that's kind of one of the major losses from the Bengals, and C.J. Uzama was, was the other. And when you look across the board, you're still seeing – most of the same starters, role players, rotational players across the board. So from that perspective, the roster's intact. And the guys that really hit the ground running last year in year two or their rookie year uh, are now starting to hit those prime years. So, um, you know, I mean, to me, I I, I do worry from a, an, an emotional standpoint. And God love the Bengals and God love Joe Burrow. But this has not been the most emotionally stable or, or stable franchise in general uh, in terms of handling success. So I have that in the back of my mind, but um, I mean, I, I do think if there is a team that's going to handle success pretty well, it will be a team headed by, you know, a pretty young, confident guy in Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow. There's also the case that, and this is kind of going with it, with what Anthony said about teams getting purged at free agency. A lot of the teams that went to the Super Bowl and just completely fell off, I feel like those teams were kind of at the end of their window, and it's just like that that was the best that they could do, and it just wasn't really meant to be after that. But the Bengals was kind of like the beginning of when they thought that they were going to be competitive, and they just kind of really overachieved. And that's the biggest thing here, because you said – that teams that go to the Super Bowl and they don't win, they don't end up being as good as next year. Well, the Bengals weren't that great of a team entering the playoffs. And then they just kind of popped off in the playoffs and just ended up winning three games to get to the Super Bowl. So I think for me, like the expectation is that, you know, they're, they improve in, in certain areas and they, you know, get in the remain in the conversation, but going back to the Super Bowl in general is a very, very tough task for any team, regardless of, of the state that they're in. So it's never been for me like, oh, they're definitely going back to the Super Bowl, but I definitely expect them to improve just because they weren't that great to begin with last year. Makes sense. I'm with both of you guys in all honesty, but it just seems to be at least seeing this from the outside. And I know you guys cover the team day in and day out, but it just seems to me where everyone's bullish on the Bengals and it's like, wait a second. And, and again, it's counter to the traditional logic of the Super Bowl loser. But I think you just go back to Burrow and company and the fact that you still have Jamar Chase and Higgins on rookie deals as well. And it's just like, that's, that's kind of where you start from there. That's, that would be the, the, the logic behind it. But I mean, like I said, we know that this team hasn't always uh, handled success the best, but I, I think they're poised based on some of the, the major figureheads they have in place to, to handle things and at least keep, keep them in AFC contention, if not Super Bowl contention, hopefully in the years ahead. That, that being said, Mark, um, I guess we can kind of transition as we've gone, we've gone past what you said you would prefer in terms of okay. time with us, but, uh, but I, we appreciate it as always, but uh I mean, expectations slash predictions for this game and really for the season for the Steelers. This is such a hard team for me personally to kind of get my, my my hands around because part of me is like, well, I mean, they're losing a Hall of Fame quarterback, but that Hall of Fame quarterback was a shell of himself last year. 
they've still got some good talent here and there, and it is one of the flagship NFL franchises in the Steelers. They know how to do things. Mike Tomlin's never had a losing season despite all the weird things. Hell, they made the playoffs last year, and it's like, what? How do they do that? Um, so, I, you know, I, I look at all these things, and I go, I, I just – I'm trying to make sense of this team, both not only for this week – but next, my my gut feeling is that, you know, I think the Bengals are getting them at a good time right now because there's a lot of transition and feeling things out with, with the Steelers right now. But, I mean, I'd love to get your take not only on this week, your prediction for the game, but just kind of how you maybe see this season going for the Steelers because it's such a, a, a just a different look for them. I've got the Bengals winning 31, Steelers 23. So there's my score prediction. And the cover. Okay. So they cover. Yes. yes. Okay. I saw it at six and a half. So I've got the Bengals at home. I just think the offense, the Steelers are a young team, specifically offensively too. And I just don't know about how they'll gel from a continuity standpoint. Expect the team to be heck of a lot better later on in the season offensively than they are early on. And specifically it's controlling the clock, the running game as well. It's, I know it's old school. I know it's not flashy with fantasy football and everything, but to expect Trubisky to have to make play after play after play after play, I think is part of the reason he's starting to have that burden on a quarterback who has veteran experience versus someone who's a rookie, especially would be week one of, uh, of the opening season. Overall for the Steelers, though, the fact that they're over under win totals at seven and a half, I know the odds makers typically get it right, but Tomlin in year 16 doesn't have a losing season to this point. This is his 16th season. I've got the Steelers at 10 and seven, but what I'm saying is hammer that over if you can get seven and a half wins because it's like if the Steelers could start the season three and three, look at the first six games on the schedule. The back half of the schedule gets heck of a lot easier. And so again, those first six games, Steelers are underdogs in like four or five of them. If they could split those, you're sitting pretty headed into week seven when your schedule lightens up. So that's kind of how I foresee this season. Maybe I'm a little bit more bullish than most people about this Steelers team, but I look at the tradition, the nucleus, and the fact that Tomlin does not have a losing season until it happens, I'm going to rely on what history has shown us time and time and time again. I've got Pittsburgh at 10 and 7. We'll see what happens. It all starts on Sunday against Cincinnati. You know, it's funny because the, the you know, we go back to the Bengals' lack of sustaining success for a long time. It's, it's because it's the Bengals, right? Well, when we talk about the Steelers being low, my mindset is, well, it's the Steelers. So, beware if your expectations are low for the Steelers, at least for me, I've just seen a lot of football from them over the years. And I, I kind of have seemingly sort of know what to expect, even with this team in transition. And by the way, when you, when you have them going 10 and seven, do you have them beating the Bengals the second time around in your schedule prediction there? I'd have I mean, to, go, we'll back have back and, I'd have to go back and look, I'd have to go back <laughs> and look, but preseason, I believe I did Anthony, but here's the thing okay. is when I, we do our weekly picks each week, yeah, to start the season, I'll say 10 and 7, but you know, everyone's going to re- overreact come Monday, the overreaction Monday from week 1 cuz like there's always a team too that gets absolutely smoked in week 1 and then actually winds up being a pretty good football team. I remember that happened with the Packers, was it last season or the year yeah, before? Yeah, it was the Jags. Yeah. Yeah, so the Saints, yeah. So we'll we'll see, but I I believe I did have them splitting Anthony, but yeah, I mean, we've got to get one back because, like, 
look, the 31 point <laughs> loss a year ago and then losing 24 to 10 as well at home. It's like, listen, we, we, we need to, we need to get at least one from the Bengals, a team that the Steelers traditionally do beat, but you know, a team that the Steelers are definitely fighting from behind. I will say this. I'm surprised the Steelers were the odds makers have them finishing last in the division, even behind Cleveland. It's like we're, we're projected to finish last, even behind Cleveland. Like I I'll just put it this way. We'll see what happens because the AFC North is very competitive, but I would be shocked if the Steelers finished last in the division. Mm-hmm. I, I know that. And I'm, I'm very bullish about the Ravens too, because they were riddled with injuries a year ago. I'm bullish about the Bengals again too, but to say that the Steelers would finish last. I mean, I, I have to go back. I don't even know when was the last time that that happened. So there you it's go. It's been a while. It's yeah. been a while. Well, Mark Bergen, aside from his great work, he does with WRAL and Raleigh, uh, North Carolina, doing a lot of different stuff for the station down there. He is one of the co-hosts alongside former Steelers defensive back, Ike Taylor, as uh, the dynamic duo behind the Believe in Steelers podcast. Tell us a little bit about your show, where we can find it, and where Bengals fans can get a peek over the other side of the fence there, (laughs) platform-wise. On YouTube, we stream each week, and I'm excited because during the season, we record twice a week as well. So we'll have preview content ahead of each week, post-game shows as well. We always love our Taylor Talk segment where Ike breaks down the film from one of the key critical plays from Sunday's game. So check us out on YouTube. That's Believe in Steelers, B-L-E-A-V in Steelers. YouTube, Facebook, and then we're on audio platforms as well. So wherever you get, listen to your podcasts, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, what have you. Uh, fellas, thank you so much for having me. And uh, Anthony, I'm going to need to play that clip for my boss. That's very flattering uh, with my work. I appreciate I do appreciate it. The do it. Yep. Do it. Grab the grab the screen video, screen record that video and do it. Uh, I'm I'm for it. You need to you need to get praised for all the work that you that you do there and as well on the Believe Network. Give give Ike our best and give Cam our best as well. Cam's awesome to this show, and as are you giving us so much time. Uh, you've already given us a lot of time the last couple of episodes, and it's been a lot of fun talking with you. Stay well, and hopefully we can catch up with you, you know, a couple months down the road on the rematch too. Fellas, thank you again for having me. All right, take care. Mark Bergen, what a guy. He's always always fun to talk to, knowledgeable, and um, just nice. I, I mean, God, he said uh, maybe 15, 20 minutes, and then here we are 35 minutes later, but that's all right. Uh, good stuff, John. A lot to take in there. Yeah, I, not not to offend him, but I don't think his advice about hammering the Steelers over 7.5 is going to be taken real well with this with this crowd over here, but... You know, he's got a point. I think the Steelers are just, they're just never a team that really bottoms out, you know, and and maybe that's, that's kind of putting it lightly. Like they could easily finish last in this division this year, just because of the three other teams that are in it. But it it just seems like they're never in a position to win three, four, five games and finish at the top of the draft. Never. Like even still like Trubisky, he's not scaring most teams, but He's still an upgrade over what they had last year, and they managed to carry Ben Roethlisberger's corpse to the playoffs. So it's all relative, and the Steelers are not a bad football team, not not nearly as bad as a three and fourteen team that you know I'm seeing in the comments section. 
Well, we're going to get to a little bit of a season outlook. I think my partner is going to spearhead that a little bit, but we'll we'll give some thoughts on that. We'll also give our predictions and maybe some key players and whatnot for the week one matchup. And then, of course, we will get out of here. Before we do, John, it's bribery time. So here's the deal. Ooh. For the past couple of months, we, we've, we've had uh, – we started a charity – in hopes to help the Pollock Family Foundation. David Pollock, former Bengals linebacker, great guy, came on the show. He's a national media presence on ESPN doing college football stuff, played for the Bengals for a couple of years, had that devastating neck injury, and now has done kind of a different career 180 and made a great broadcasting career for, for himself and doing some great work with his charity, the Pollock Family Foundation. The website that we have created for this, givesendgo.com slash Pollock Family Foundation. If you do not know... What they do, uh, they bring you know a lot of nutritional awareness to families, so they could potentially help families deal with and uh, combat the effects of diabetes, childhood obesity, diabetes, all kinds of different things that they uh, that they provide there. And then, of course, um, they do a lot of different things with at-risk mothers, at-risk youth. Uh, they do a lot of work with the Children's Hospital in Atlanta, so they've done a lot of different things, and now they are branching out to kind of make this aside from you know, some stuff just in Georgia and Atlanta area where he is from and, and, and his family's down there. They are now branching out more nationally, maybe doing some stuff with his old uh, stomping grounds in Cincinnati and whatnot. We've tried to lead the charge a little bit to get some money. We we've had some generosity and we know that Bengals nation is extremely generous. Now we've kind of teased a little bit in terms of, Hey, you know, if you've donated all this kind of stuff, we're going to, um, you know, we've, we've got some prizes and what what have you. We're hoping to get a little more oomph behind this. Now, here's the deal. We're close to 6,000 subscribers on YouTube. We're close to 5,000 subscribers on Twitter. And between John and I, uh, he's got like double the following on Twitter because he's twice as smart as me and twice as good as this than I am. But we're, you know, we're, you could call it like a 20K giveaway, an 11K giveaway, whatever the case you want to call it. We're doing this and we're highlighting this. We already have a YouTube super chat that we received tonight. We're going to continue to feed those to these. We're going to be highlighting the Pollock Family Foundation for a little while longer. Here's the deal. You got to subscribe to our YouTube channel. You got to follow us on Twitter. Then you got to donate to the Pollock Family Foundation. We've been collecting some stuff to give out. We're going to do big prizes. We're going to do a couple of smaller prizes and stuff in between for folks. Now, here's some of the things that we've gathered alongside some surprise. These bad boys to give out to people in case you did not get your copy. The Sports Illustrated Joe Burrow uh, Bengals coverage thing. We've got the new sideline hats from New Era. Uh, Snapback sideline hats, those tie-dye ones. We've got those to give away surprise autograph memorabilia and different things that we have for you ken anderson alliance swag that we'll throw in all kinds of different things we want your help we need your help if you can please if you are so inclined please donate show proof of it or you know leave your info on that give send go page and then of course subscribe and give us some, some proof of that as well subscribe follow on twitter do all that stuff um we're just trying to make and give some money to a great cause absolutely man help us by helping you you know mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a great cause we, we've been plugging this for a couple of weeks now david david is a great person a great interview definitely check out that interview that we did with him back in july but yeah do what anthony says man he's never told me anything wrong so he's not gonna tell you anything wrong either <laughs> 
I don't know about that, but we'll, 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 I'll ride with that. But that being said, thanks for a couple minutes of letting us talk about the Pollock Family Foundation. Go donate, and you can win some cool Spangles stuff and some surprise stuff that we'll we'll unveil a little bit down the road there too. But brand new, new era hats, sideline hats for the Cincinnati Bengals, the Sports Illustrated, Joe Burrow uh, magazine. If you did not get your copy, we've got some of those on hand and some different, all kinds of different things that we're going to be giving away. And we want to send those out to you. So donate, subscribe, follow all that stuff. And we'll get that to you. But John, let's talk a little bit about the Bengals season. Then we'll talk some predictions and things about week one on our own. We already had a lot along chat with Mark about the Steelers side of things, but where to start on season outlook here? Where to start indeed, man. I feel like the continuity has been brought up a ton with this team, specifically on the defensive side of the ball, but you have on offense, a completely reworked offensive line, four new starters, a rookie, three free agent acquisitions, all presumed to be major upgrades over their predecessors. And then you have a sense of continuity in terms of the quarterback running back receivers all growing up together all achieving their peaks in their primes i think and mark touched on this coming back from a super bowl loss or just coming back from a super bowl in general it's a long season it was the longest season in nfl history they played 21 games last year it was a grind and it took a toll on them and for a team that like the 2015 Panthers who were building that thing for years and years and they hit their peak. They went 15 and one. They gave it their all in the Super Bowl, except when Cam Newton didn't recover that fumble. And then they lost to 50 year old Peyton Manning. And then things kind of fell apart. <laughs> and I think that is being reflected in what certain outlets, what certain analysts are saying about the Bengals now. You know, you had the athletic um, running a, a rankings of the, of the AFC teams and the Bengals finished like sixth or whatever. And I think that. Of a, of a hangover or of a down year of regression hitting this team in general. And for weeks now, months, listening to this conversation about where the Bengals go from here, I, I still think that we're, we're not exactly achieving a differentiation between results and how good a team actually is. Because we always equate you know, the, the success of a team to their record or just how good they are in general. The Bengals... At the end of the day, in the regular season last year, they were a very inconsistent offense and an above-average defense, and that equated to a 10-7 and record. And they really dominated on offense at the end of the season against some poor defenses. But in general, their offense wasn't that good, and that showed in the playoffs, and their defense carried them into the playoffs to a Super Bowl. It is not far-fetched by any means to assume that this offense is going to be leaps and bounds more consistent, maybe not as explosive because they were really explosive and they were really successful mm-hmm. in that regard but a more consistent offense equates to just a better more sustainable offense and then you have a defense this is the whole other thing too because defenses are known to regress from year to year it's not a reliable unit or side of the ball to just project success from year to year you like the continuity of having 10 of 11 starters back and guys are mostly still in their prime but in general it's it's less trustworthy than offense, but the offense takes that step, even if the defense takes a little bit of a step back. And we're not expecting that big of a step back because the defense is still talented. There's no real weaknesses there. This is the team that has a known quantity at quarterback. There's no projecting. There's no hoping that Joe Burrow is good. We know he's good. We know his receivers are good. We know his running back is good. We have a really, really, really good feeling that his offensive line is good. And we know the defense is going to be good enough. I, objectively 
biases aside, that is a team that meets expectations. And their expectations now are to remain in the hunt at the very minimum and to be a potentially wildcard team. This is a team that has the makeup of, of one that has a good chance of going back to the playoffs just because all those components are arriving at the same time. Well said. I, You know, a lot has been made about, you know, look, the Bengals got lucky and the Ravens were unhealthy last year and all these different things and, um, you know, just kind of a perfect storm of things that allowed the Bengals to kind of sneak their way into the, the postseason and through the postseason. Well, you don't sneak your way through the teams that they beat. There's just not really, I mean, were there moments that, yeah, you could say that was kind of lucky or that was a, that was a ball that went their way or what have you. When in fact, over many years, that has not been the case. They just did not have the the fortune go their way. But you know what they say, good teams and prepared teams oftentimes get the breaks, the calls, the ball bouncing their way. It's cliche, but it happens. And so I'm in agreement with you, you know, when you talk about regression, I'm going, well, where? I mean, I, I worry a little bit about the Larry Ogunjobi loss. I really do. I thought he was an outstanding acquisition for this team, albeit maybe a little inconsistent here and there. Um, but the big plays were big plays. And and I, I worry about, you know, how you going to how you going to find that mix? Is Zachary Carter and, and maybe a Jay Tufele and others going to be able to do some things on the interior to get you that pass rush? Are you going to, are you going to find, but again, the things that we're, we're worried about now are microscopic compared to the concerns going into last year with, with the offensive line and, and the consistency is Burrow going to be healthy enough to play. What's he going to look like? All of these things, chase dropping the football, all of these things. And now you go, well, now we know what we know. Let's go. Uh, I mean, it's, and to me, I think your your explosiveness versus consistency argument, I think that's a thing worth noting. And I think, you know, while we love the bombs away offense, the big plays to chase and all these different things, um, you know, there were a lot of dry spells at time on offense. You know, it would be just a, a three and out or just devastating sacks that would derail a drive very early on. And, and all of these things where you just go, man, that's just, you know, it's just way too peaks and way too many peaks and valleys here. And so now if you even that out, even if the peaks aren't as high, but the valleys aren't nearly as low, you know, you can play a little bit more ball control game. We talked about how Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow even said we want to be a little bit 50-50 in terms of pass run. Zach Taylor talked about how they want to be able to run the ball and be consistent on that front. Uh, I know it's not what maybe a lot of folks want to hear with Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, and Joe Burrow, but, um, you know, they do have Joe Mixon. They did invest in four new offensive linemen that are starters on this on this team now. So, I mean, there, there's a reason and a method to the madness. And so, I, you know, I I don't like this. It, it kind of was funny to me when Mark brought up, you know, a lot of a lot of pundits are bullish on the Bengals, and I'm going, really? I I see some, but I see others really have to kind of rally to the defense of the Bengals and say, you know, this team is still really good. And so, you know, when and even if you look at it last year and what they did towards the end of the year, they still only won 10 regular season games, right? And there was a point where you're going, man, is this team even going to get over 500 at, at certain points in that season because of some, some of these really awful performances? So now I think you see some of those maybe even out. I, I you know, I think I had this team kind of conservatively maybe at the 12 win mark this year. Uh, maybe drop a game here and there that in the division that, you know, maybe you don't expect them to, but all in all, I mean, I just, I really think that this team is and should avoid their hangover. I will say this, John, kicking it back to you. 
I think this year and the start of this season will tell us a lot about the long-term viability and if last year was a flash in the pan type of thing. I think, you know, could they, could they re- if they don't do well this year, could they rebound a year or two down the road and still be in the hunt? Sure. But I, I just think that avoiding a hangover, avoiding any of that talk, coming out of the gates, beating the Steelers and doing the things that they need to do, getting off to a good start this season, not dropping games like they did last year to the Bears and the Jets and things like that, not seeing that kind of stuff. Um, I think it's going to go a long way in terms of kind of saying, hey, you know, not only just to us within the, the cover of the team, within the fan base, all that kind of stuff, but to the outside world saying, you know, this this is a team that's going to be a force to be reckoned with for a, a long time. And I think just in general, regression is is definitely misinterpreted a lot. I, I, I always think back to what Luke Braun, who covers the Vikings for Lockdown Vikings, and he was talking about, I think, the beginning of last year where people didn't think that Justin Jefferson was going to be as good in year two as he was as a rookie. And he kind of just attacked that narrative and saying that regression to the mean doesn't mean that a great player all of a sudden becomes terrible or becomes below average. Some players are just really good and maybe they don't sustain an insane level of production that like Justin Jefferson had as a rookie, but Jefferson was really good in year two as well because he's a really good player. The Bengals happen to have really good players all over the roster. Now, is Chidibe Wuzier going to have like the second highest uh, gr- defensive grade for all cornerbacks in the league? Maybe not. Is Trey Hendrickson also going to have you know another 15 or 14 sack season? Maybe not. Football is football. Things happen. But the Bengals are talented enough where even if some regression hits here and there over the roster, maybe they get a little bit more injured, they're still set up in a place where they will be competitive every single week. And in terms of just being competitive and staying in games, the Bengals were not even close to being one of the luckiest teams in terms of just winning one score games and just surviving as the season went on. You said it, man. They were barely above 500 entering Denver week. That game was like life or death for them entering that entering that game. They were a very average team by all accounts. And then they just caught their stride at the right time, which is how you make those runs in the playoffs. So we just really get absorbed in results and just wins and losses and how far you go in the playoffs, what you do there if you win the Super Bowl, because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. But in terms of actually saying how good a team was and if they can sustain that success, you really have to look deeper in that. And when you look deeper into that, you can tell that the 2021 Bengals caught fire at the right time, but weren't nearly as good as they could be. And they've made the right moves this year. They've stayed healthy. They've, they've stayed young. They've stayed good. And they put themselves in the position to be even better. And to your point, they are in a position that if for some reason, some of these milestones, some of these statistical anomalies that were hit last year, if they come close, but don't, I mean, if obviously if there's a fall off the cliff, that's one thing, but I mean, if they, if they, you come close or there's different things, they have a windfall. They have their roster is in, is in a better condition to be able to withstand some of these things here and there as opposed to last year and definitely the first couple of years of Zach Taylor. So I think that's why a lot of us are excited about the Bengals, not only this year, but in the next handful of years with the, the, the figureheads and the, the big pieces they have in place. That being said, John, the Bengals do play the Steelers on in week one, Paycor Stadium, they host them. And... You know what? What's Zach? Did I say Zach Taylor? Was he four and two against the the Steelers? Uh, at this three, he three, lost three. his first three, I believe. So yeah, yeah I think so he's three and three. three. Yeah. yeah. Um. So he's three and three now. Uh, won the last three in a row. 
so what, what what's your what's your feeling about this week, how it's going to go, and some of the players' foreground and background that uh, need and will shine, need to and will shine. So I like how Mark brought up uh, the marriage between Trubisky and uh, the offense coordinator, Matt Canada, and just what he wants to do on offense and how they just – they couldn't do that with Ben because Ben was just a stubborn old man and he didn't want to move and he didn't want to <laughs> back to the defense and everything. So I, I think uh, Canada's offense kind of works well with what Trubisky does well. And that, I'm not going to say poses a problem for the Bengals defense, but it makes it more interesting because the, the mismatch or the matchup of this game that people are talking about is the Bengals defensive line against the Steelers offensive line. It's the reverse of what it used to be because the Bengals offensive line used to get eaten alive by the Steelers' def- defensive line, they could do nothing to stop it with like Andy Dalton at quarterback. But when you have Trubisky moving out of the pocket, utilizing his mobility, that in itself kind of snuffs out some of just the domination that uh, an opposing pass rush can have. The question is, Trubisky still has to do things outside of the pocket and make plays down the field. He's got receivers to do that, which is why I think the, the, the key of this game is to limit any big plays that Trubisky can make with his arm to Pickens or Claypool or Johnson if he even plays. So it's a tough test for the Bengals secondary to just stay disciplined, to stay in front of those routes and whatnot, because that is the way that the Steelers are going to try to nullify the Bengals pass rush. I don't think the Steelers are going to be able to run the ball very well against the Bengals defensive line. That's not even crediting the, the Bengals defensive line that much. It's just they just don't have the offensive line to really uh, create room for Najee. So the game is really going to be in, in Trubisky's hands because the Steelers' defense probably isn't going to stop the Bengals' offense very much. The Bengals are going to be around, I think, where Mark had them at 31 points. So can Trubisky win in a shootout with this new offense that he's in that's going to utilize him rolling out of the pocket and getting the ball quickly? I don't know, but it feels like the key to the game. It does feel like the key to the game. And, yeah, I mean, that that's, that's the thing I think the Steelers like. I mean, if you look at both Trubisky – and Pickett, those are guys that can move. Those are guys that can create things with their legs, you know, on a run play, a broken play and do some things or run around, do a little backyard football and, and wing it around a little bit. Now, Ben, in his heyday, was the master at that. Um, it wasn't a fast guy, but, I mean, guys would just slide all off him and <laughs> run around and make a play. So I think they're maybe trying to recapture some of that in some ways uh, with with Trubisky and, and whatnot. Now, granted, people are saying, hey – you know, what is Trubisky? You know, is he really that good? I mean, I think there are spots where you go, hey, you know, he, he has moments where he he plays pretty well. And it usually is when he's doing different things, getting out of the pocket, running, you know, making the occasional run play and whatnot. He can do some different things. So I agree with you with that. It's going to be interesting to see what the what Luana Rumo dials up in the secondary because no Cam Taylor Britt. You got Dax Hill now back there who is, you know, kind of a movable piece. Where is he all going to be lined up to ne- help negate the impact of those receives that others employ you know what what's going to happen there how much rust will jesse bates have um you know in the secondary by by missing the entire training camp preseason that sort of thing we will see um and then of course the offensive lines for both teams just how much have they improved uh, you know if you're the Bengals, you have to be able to not let tj watt take over this game and not let guys you know cam hayward highsmith and it, you you can't let those players wreck the game and they have had a tendency to do so last year definitely not so much but you know years past those guys have been real problems for for the Bengals and you have to hope 
that the additions on the offensive line are going to do do the work that you want them to do. And then, of course, John, as it always is, I am of the mindset that the Pittsburgh Steelers will still, despite it being a more disciplined team, despite Zach Taylor being the head coach and preaching discipline, they will still try to do things to get the Bengals to react and get after the whistle penalties to derail their, their offensive drives or extend their own offensive drives. I still think that's going to be part of their game plan because they know how to get traditionally, they have known how to get under the Bengals skin. And, you know, I, I just, I, I, think that that's going to be a little bit of the game plan. The Bengals did a wonderful job last year of not letting that occur. They have to do it again. Yeah. And when they did in the past, like they were traditionally the better team, they typically won those games, but they still kind of made that their thing. Now they kind of have like a reason to try to like even the playing field a little bit. If they can get the Bengals to, you know, put themselves in unnecessary roughness and, you know, unsportsmanlike conduct that, that changes drives that can change the game. And that's what the Steelers will have to potentially utilize and weaponize if they just can't keep up with the Bengals. I agree on, on all those points as well. I just I, I just look at this game, and I think there's just too much for the Steelers to overcome, and I think that's the good thing about being a Bengals fan right now. You can enter the season playing the Steelers and feel confident that your team is going to do well because, again, like they match up very well against this team. And with the Bengals' offensive line, I'm most curious – their like how much help they give Lel Collins because last year I distinctly remember multiple times they had CG Uzama essentially being a pass protector for a couple seconds and then releasing in into the defensive backfield as a route runner they made they made TJ Watt basically rush the passer for five seconds before he even got close to Joe Burrow and that's what negated him a lot in that game now you have Hayden Hurst instead of CG Uzama Hayden Hurst is not known as much of a blocker, how much are they going to ask him to do in that role? Are they going to have Drew Sample on the field a little bit more? Maybe have Hayden Hurst out wide when he's on the field. If they can just have Collins go one-on-one with Watt, which is still a tall task for as good as Leo Collins is, that can maybe change some things on offense for the Bengals. But there's going to be one Steelers defensive lineman with a one-on-one situation. It might be Cam Hayward lining up against Cordell Volson. You know, yep. one, one, one guy is going to do well, right? And it's how the Bengals can bounce back from the sacks. They're still going to take some, still going to have some pressure, but the, the dynamic could change now that you have more talented guys up front. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're pressing me for a score right now, I'd go a little bit. I don't know that I'd say that the Bengals cover just because that's a lofty line. I guess I'm inclined to go like 26-20, um, you know, maybe 27-21, something to that effect. Uh, I, I think the Bengals kind of, have it in hand and maybe there's a late score for the Steelers and just kind of makes it a little close, appear a little closer than it is. But um, you know, I still, I, I, I still have hesitancy saying that because the Steelers are the Steelers. And even with all of the issues we've talked about, I don't know. I don't know if you want to lay out a score prediction, but um, you know, it sounds like you think that the Bengals uh, should take care of business in this one as well. Yeah, they should. Um, I, I do feel like they probably covered barely by, by seven, maybe like a, like a 27 to 20 and maybe, maybe 20 points is still a little bit much for an offense that we really don't know anything about, but the Steelers, I think will will find a way to crawl back a little bit towards the end. I don't think it will be a complete utter blowout. Like it was at formerly known as Paul Brown stadium last year. So I'll, I'll go to 27, 20. All right. Well, there you have it. Uh, let's drop the mic and get on out of here. We covered a lot tonight. Uh, John, what, what, what do you got as we head on out of here? Yeah, just just to wrap up a bow on maybe the last 20 minutes of discussion, I, I 
I've been around like Bengals fans and just people in Cincinnati long enough to hear the phrase like, oh, this is the Bengals. You know, you can't, you can't trust them. And, you know, they're not that much different. And I feel like that statement permeates a lot from a national sense. And we did kind of hear that on the whatever podcast that Ross Tucker is on. I'm not going to play the audio because I'm not going to give him the credit for that. I'm just going to read the transcript that I created. It's a quote about the Bengals. They really played well in the postseason. Big fan of Burrow. They got great weapons and improved their offensive line. But it's the Bengals. So it's hard to have that much faith that they'll actually do it again. And beyond just the team objectively being good from a roster sense, there there is always been like, can the Bengals sustain the success? Do they have what it takes organizationally to put out a consistent winner from year to year and everything like that? And I listened to Paul Daner Jr. talk with the the Blackburn uh, granddaughters, Elizabeth and Caroline. And what was brought up was about renaming the stadium from Paul Brown to Paycor and it's not a topic that you would expect to come up in terms of making this argument. But when Paul asked like Elizabeth, if she was surprised that this was the direction that they went with, she said just pretty point blank and blunt quote, at the end of the day, we need to field a competitive football team and we need competitive revenue to support that. And that's been more or less alluded to over the last I month. I love and, that. And sometimes people like people within the organization have just said it, but the fact that like she didn't even think about it, it was just, right right there out in the open it's like yeah it's it's money and stuff and it's not on the field but like that's the thing that i think was probably missing just just to hear that the Bengals are actually serious in terms of just not just you know posting their whatever on one super bowl run and just kind of hanging their hats on that like they want to be good for a long time and they want to make sure that, that they do the right things to do so and i think just hearing that from someone so close within the organizations, literally the blood of Mike Brown, I think that speaks volumes to how much things have actually changed. And hopefully we won't hear stuff from our Ross Tucker like that ever again because of it. I'll, I'll just piggyback on that to, to drop the mic and, and get on out of here because all of what you said is, is very accurate and it's that forward thinking. It's that thinking about down the road and how to continue to be competitive, how to continue to have a team that is going to compete for championships, for division titles, et cetera, et cetera. It's not just about now. It's about it's. And so, so often the Bengals in the past were kind of consumed by the now. And I mean, they, they would do some things in free agency that would make you think otherwise, but it's consumed by the now and uh, how, you know, how do we get out of our own way and that sort of thing. And these are the things when you talk about, but it's the Bengals, what's different. Well, it's that sort of style of thinking that that you mentioned. And then, of course, you know, you can again talk about the Ring of Honor. You can talk about all these other things that were just never, you know, the in, the indoor facility, all of these things that were just never, never going to happen for, you know, a, as things were and as things are and as things will be, they are happening. And these are the changes and these are the things that are infrastructural things that continue to make your to improve your franchise and improve the way you do business and improve uh, your chances in landing bigger free agents and whatnot because of the appeal and the sales pitch that you have as a, as a franchise, you know, what, what you have in hand, what you have in pocket and all of that. So uh, just to piggyback on, on you and to kind of ride your coattails on what you were saying there, you said it way more eloquently than I can, but uh, I mean, that's, that's really why things are different. And that's that's what you can point to is really the the line of thinking, the forward line of thinking, 
and the the instituted changes we have already seen in such a short period of time that continues to bring this franchise among uh, really the elite ones. And now it's time for the players and the coaches to put it to action on the field and hopefully do the, do what they need to do and get a big win in week one. Well, we've talked about a lot of different things here on the orange and black insider. Our thanks to Mark Bergen of the believe in Steelers part podcast, part of the believe podcast network. And of course you can catch John with uh, Hoji and Daddio on the <laughs> believe in Bengals podcast as well. Mark and I can make appearances there. So Go check that show out as well. And uh, hey, let's have let's have some fun this Sunday. Let's hope the Bengals get a win. And John, great talking to you, my man. It's been a jam-packed show, but a good one. And thanks as always for your great, great contributions, my friend. I'll talk to you after we see actual Bengals football, man. Can't wait. Yep. W. All right. See ya.